Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. Here we are with episode number 36 of the Principles of Performance podcast. I am your host, Eric Degatti, along with my co-host and friend, Mike Perry. Mike, another show, another great guest. That's it. We, we've lucked out, man. Uh, we're excited to have Jeremy on board. We, we, we were having a, a good conversation earlier, and uh, I'm excited about this one. Man. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, J- Jeremy Boone, if you're not familiar with him, he's one of the OGs and, and, and going way back. <laughs> to jeremy i'm going to date myself where i have cds of the sports specific.com days uh, yes sir of like you and lee taft and and wayne carlisle might even been on there i have cds of those so for the kids we'll have you'll have to look up on in google what a cd was but uh jeremy is a coach with with a mission to kind of help leaders uh, at all levels, become bolder, braver, better in order to become a, a leader worth following. He's he's based in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, he's yep. he's he's now an uh, internationally recognized performance coach, best-selling author, mm-hmm. published researcher, mm-hmm. and a creator of the Leader Kit program. He'll tell us what that is. Um, but in uh, November 2019, he gave a TEDx talk yeah. called The Courage to Connect, Why the World Needs More of You. Uh, it's now mm-hmm. become a staple in many leadership curriculums. Uh, and so since 95, he's worked with over 50 world champions and Olympic medalists in six countries, coaching high-performing athletes and organizational leaders. Uh, he's also the host of an iTunes uh, featured podcast called Coach Your Best, uh, which has hit a couple hundred thousand listeners and subscribers, something we aspire to here at Principles of Performance. And welcome an old friend, Jeremy Boone. Yeah, man, let's get it. Hey, I'm glad that you didn't use the word VHS tape, though. So I uh, do, I do have those. I do have my, my VHS tapes when I first started as well. I don't want to date myself too much. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so, so let's kind of go back. You, you know, you've been around a lot of years doing, you know, working on human performance at, at one level or another. Kind of tell us a little about your story, how you kind of went from this metamorphosis from strength coach into the leadership stuff you're doing now. Yeah, man, it's been a wild ride, and I, I would. Start off by first saying just a couple of things. Thanks for having me on. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. So just to be on here and, and be a part of your guest list of some incredible people that have impacted lots and lots of people around this world is, is an honor. So Mike, uh, I appreciate that. Eric, I appreciate that, um, which is pretty good. I certainly, I think of some of the stuff I'm going to share with you today. Uh, I, I certainly ha- would not have gotten to experience any of um, these opportunities uh, without the help and mentorship and friendship of other people. And I know you guys are the same, right? Like none of us have gotten to where we are by ourselves. And uh, I think that's always important for your younger audience that aspire to get to where you are, Eric and Mike, what you're doing and 
Um, you know, and that's going to be fun to talk about really the theme of today around leadership. So I, I coming out of high school, I played basketball, played uh, tennis and, you know, was pretty active that way. Um, ended up going to college at Charleston. I, I was from Greenville, South Carolina, the upstate. Chose to stay in state at the time because my mom was battling cancer for the second time and was down at College of Charleston, not really know what I wanted to do in life and ended up getting hurt playing uh, basketball uh, and ended up in the athletic training room with a really close friend of mine who was part of the ATC staff at the time uh, as an undergrad. And I always tell people I didn't choose strength and conditioning back then. Hey, we... It was really just uh, if you wanted to be in strength and conditioning, you were in a weight room counting reps or you could go on the PT side and be in a room with white walls and blue carpet. And I didn't want to be in any one of, either one of those because I didn't grow up in a weight room. I grew up at a time where if you played basketball, the way you got better was to play basketball. We, we never saw the inside of a weight room. And the strength coach at that time heard a little bit about my story and, and my friends there that were in the undergrad program, they invited me in. And that's a really important word we'll get into a little bit later about this idea of invitation. And so they invited me in and I fell in love with the opportunity to work with individuals that were going after something bigger. And um, leaving College of Charleston had to make a decision about post-grad and again, there wasn't this sports science, sports performance, the way it is now or even 10 years ago. And um, so I, I wanted to pick a major city that was close by Greenville. And I chose Charlotte, which is about at the time, about an hour and a half, two hours north uh, of Greenville and moved straight here out of school, Eric, and just started my own business, which I don't know I would recommend much anymore. I, mean, I, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just said, look, I, I don't, again, I don't want to be in a weight room full all the time. And I don't want to be in therapy all the time because back then, if you were in therapy, athletes assumed that you needed to be fixed, right? Like there was a problem and your identity struggled and and I didn't want to be in that either. So moved here, started out, uh, my own company, built it up, had some coaches with me, worked with all the high schools and colleges around here. Um, got really fortunate to then work with the Carolina Panthers for nine years as the off-season speed and conditioning coach. And that was fun because I was the youngest guy um, in the NFL at the time. They didn't have a, an off-season speed coach except for me and D.C., Dwayne Carlisle. But um, he didn't even have the opportunity I did to be there four days a week for 10 weeks straight. And um, the strength coach, Jerry Simmons, really just gave me free reign. He said, out there, that's your world. And, you know, this is my program, but you stay in your space and go make it great and let me know what's going on, how we work together. And that was nine really great years in addition to working with all kind of baseball and soccer. And we were in Brazil, um, one of the first Americans down there doing speed stuff and over in England. And, um, and around 2004, by then, uh, I started to get really frustrated because we were getting pretty good at... Uh, helping athletes recover, helping athletes rehab, right? And although we don't like the word rehab, I like to use the word, we use the word reload. <laughs> and we think that's more important. Um, so we help athletes do that. We can help athletes improve the performance metrics that they were coming in, but they were still struggling when their seasons would come around, whether it's high school, college, and, and even pros. And I like sports psychology. I had a minor in it. And you guys use it every day, right? Visualization, self-talk, goal setting, all those good things. And those are important tools. But I wanted to find a way where I can measure how someone thinks when I would have an opportunity to work with an athlete that would come into Charlotte 
And I was only going to have him for a couple of weeks. So I wasn't going to have to get a chance to know that person very well. Just like a, a PT that comes to the clinic, you're going to get them for a couple of weeks and then they're gone. And I, I needed a way to measure mindset the way that I could measure a 40 on the field. And we could break it down and know what the KPIs are. And I came across this little known science that at first I thought was astrology. And I'm like, I'm not into all that. That's like frou-frou. We can leave that alone. Um, but I gave a look at it and it's called formal axiology. And uh, have, have either of you ever heard of that term before? I have not. I, I no, have Mike? Not. Yeah. I, so I, even today, most, so formal axiology is the science of human value and decision-making. And it's a mathematical-based science that looks at how you make decisions uh, inside your skin and your self-view, and then how you make decisions, everything outside of your skin and your worldview. And I was like, now that grabs my attention because at the end of the day, when I was working with professional athletes and Olympians back in even 2004 and, and uh, even before that, personality really didn't play such a big part at the end of the game and wins and losses. It was a poor decision, right? Whatever that decision was, it was a poor decision. So I gave three years into really learning and studying formal axiology, built a team with the help of Dr. Medford and his wife. And we kind of set the stage globally around measuring, um, using our, our profiles from that science, how people make decisions. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, we can really go and truly maximize a 60-minute session, right? Uh, a 15-minute, we can help PTs with 15-minute sessions. We can help educators do a better job of designing and guiding conversations with language that can help people achieve what they want to achieve, right? And that was really important. So we kept doing all those things together. And then I got involved with Penske Racing about 2011. So this is my 11th year with them. Um, and that's been fun. Uh, to work with drivers and pit crews and people always make fun of uh, uh, NASCAR and I did too until 2011 and Eric you said you never been to a, a NASCAR race and I was like man who wants to go watch a car turn left right 500 for 500 miles I'm not doing that but when I got in and looked at the demands of what they do you've got five guys that have to complete 72 tasks in under nine and a half seconds and that that's a uh, that's a task of perfection right it's not like in basketball. It's not like in hockey. If I make a mistake, I can hustle back over and try to get the ball back and stay in the play. These guys have to wait 40 minutes before they get a chance again. And for every second that I, Mike, if you're a driver, that I send you out of the pit box on a green flat stop for every second, you lose 400 feet on the track. And that's on me. And the difference between first and third place in over 68, 68% of races, which is millions of dollars, is less than what? 400 feet. So, you know, we're going in going, wow, how do we take this information? And when we've learned these patterns, just like, like your program and what you guys are doing a good job of educating others about the principles of program design and looking at movement patterns, axiology looks at patterns of thinking. And so the language is very synonymous, which also makes it, makes it fun too. And so that's kind of where we are now. And we're going and working with, Fortune 100 C-suites and colleges and um, pro teams and um, looking at how do we design environments that people can't wait to be a part of and how do we help leaders develop the language that people really truly want to follow, um, you know, and do that. So it's, yeah, man, that's a little bit winded, but we're having a good time and look where we are now. 
Absolutely. So, um, you know, a big part, I know a big part of what you do is, is you focus on leadership. And so where does leadership fit in terms of what we do as, as trainers and coaches? Yeah, gosh, that's, that's a good, a good starting question. And that was one of my core questions um, coming up when I first started my own business and didn't know what I was doing in the mid nineties. And I knew that, you know, I could go and get somebody through a training session, but you got to figure out how to get people into your session. You got to make sure you have people coming back. Let, let, let me ask you this. So I'm going to answer your question with a question, which I think will be fun. Um, Mike, if uh, I'm going to work with you, right? Oh, actually, let's say if you're going to work with me, would you prefer that I use language of what I want from you the majority of the time? Or would you like for me to use language about what I want for you within this session, within this month, or what I want for you based on your objectives and the story you want to tell? Which one would you prefer? For I would say option. I would say, uh, I would say a combination of both. Yeah, it's got to be, right? <laughs> right? Because it's got to be. Okay, it, so that's important. It's got to be a combination of both. Got to be both. It can't be just what I want from you. What about uh, statements versus questions? If I'm always just using statements all the time, is that as engaging as if I were to sprinkle in and leave with questions as well? Well, in my opinion, um, coaching is about asking the right questions and then zipping yep. it up and listening. Yep. So for me, it, it, and at least in my opinion, I think a lot of the times as coaches, we talk too much and we don't give our yep. clients or our athletes the opportunity to share because we always want to be the go, 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 and we want to move on to the next thing. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a questions guy. I love it. I love it. And, and look, that's tough to your point, especially with younger professionals and they feel like they have time starved sessions, right? And they, they're not good at session uh, management and well, IE program design. That's what you guys are kind of hitting on too. And, and what I appreciate about what you're doing. What about if the way you experience me is more about what I can get or what I can give as your coach or trainer, which one would you prefer? Um, so you're saying I'm the coach or am I the, nope. am I the, nope. am I the client? Yeah, you're the client. We're still, we're still in that role play space, but for me, so, the way you experience me. So I think it's reciprocal. Once again, I, I don't think you can pick one or the other, right? I, I think yeah. a, a good relationship is, is a combination of give and take. And, yep. um, I think there needs to be equal skin in the game to have a, a relationship that will be, uh, prosperous long-term. Yeah, you got to have both. That's right. And then there's the last one and just kind of this role play just for now. Um, what about the difference if we did not have a relationship that was healthy enough to have a disagreement? So you don't like what I'm saying. I'm telling you it's my way, the highway. You disagree with me. And then now you leave. Right. Like, I'm not going back to that guy. I disagree with that guy. And we, we can't do that. And so where I'm going with that is way too many professionals in our research and our conversations and work, they, they tend to stay the majority of the time playing the role of a manager, right? And not enough time as a leader. And people want to come and follow a leader. A manager is important. You have to manage your program. But the ones in those in the private sector that are scaling at businesses that continue to grow and have to grow their stuff, you know, they are, are using questions they want to use language about what i want for you not what i want from you they will understand that this is about alignment not just about agreement and that i'm going to build that relationship strong enough that it can handle the word no 
right? And I'm going to build that relationship strong enough with you as a client that it can bear the weight of any truth. And, and so we got to be careful when we say I'm a trainer or I'm a coach, because for some people who don't understand that on the receiving side, they box that in a little tiny, you know, uh, tiny label and, and that minimizes the experience. So a leader takes somewhere to a future destination uh, and hopefully that's, that's why you follow me. So Mike, here's what I would ask you. This is what I asked the, the, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals here a couple of weeks ago um, uh, out of the gate because we were talking about coaching and training. And I said, Ollie, if I'm a player or in your case, Eric, with, with your clients, why should someone follow you beyond a paycheck and a title? What would you say? Why should anybody follow you? You're picking on Mike still, or is this circling? Uh, no, we're going to Eric. Is it for Eric. Me? No, we'll go to Eric. See, Eric, Perry, can, you can go back to sleep, Perry. Um, all right, so uh, hey, I, I, I brought my A game. <laughs> uh, so why should come someone come to me other than, than the others? Um, the, the first is the fact that I'm humble enough to say that there are other people that can still get you to your goal. I have one way that I think is the best way to do it based on my experience. Cause I've had, you know, as we talk about in our course, I've had 25 years of screwing this thing up. So I've already made a bunch of mistakes that you don't have to go through that, that guy in year one is that might make with you. So, and, and then I'm going to go through the extra steps you know, kind of like the, the, the old expression, Abraham Lincoln said, if you give me four hours to saw down a tree, I'm going to, I'm going to spend the first three and a half sharpening the saw. Right. So I'm yeah. not going to guess, yeah. right. You're not going to jump in yeah. and just start doing training with me. I'm going to figure out what it is exactly that you need to get from where you are now. So to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Mike, what about you? How would you answer that? Why, why, uh, why should no, somebody no, follow no, you? I'm just kidding. Um, honestly, um, because I have messed up more in 20 years than most people have in their entire lifetime. And, uh, but with that, um, you know, no one likes to admit that they, they, they messed up a lot, but I've also taken it in stride where I've been able to take those mess ups and, and, and uh, learn from them. So I think my mindset is the permanent beginner, right? I always want to mm -hmm. learn more and I'm excited to learn more from my clients because I think a lot of the times athletes yeah. and clients will work with coaches thinking that they're there to learn but you know even talking to you i'm yeah. learning from you right now man like like every conversation yeah. that i have it's a it's a conversation but there's always something to learn through that entire process so and, yeah. and i think it's fun when you can you can grow a relationship where there's mutual respect and mutual learning and uh that's what i like to bring to the table i'm always going to try like if if i'm not a better coach than i was last year at this time i i did something wrong and, mm. and I think for me, it's just the constant uh, sort of, I, I always want to strive to do the best I can for my clients. And, um, yeah. and if I'm being honest, um, mediocre to me is a, uh, it's a four letter word, man. Uh, I don't want everyone to be called mediocre. And, uh, you know, uh, that's just not in my vocabulary. So for me, it's all about uh, relationship building and trying yeah. to bring the people that I work with to the next level. And they can bring me along for the ride because it's all about the relationship and, uh, I, I'm going to close with this. I, uh, I I forget who said this, but they said, you know, be the type of coach that, you know, down the road when an athlete's of age, they want to take you out for a beer because they truly appreciated what you did for them. And that's the kind of coach I want to be. Man, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I, I think you bring up a really important point, though, is that, you know, beyond being a subject matter expert, there are other elements. And namely, that is about people and about relationships. And, you know, we have professionals that come through Leader Kit, you know, quite a bit that, I mean, these are some of the brightest minds on this planet. They've published, 
some of them dozens of studies and research journals, and they're so bright. And that's their sole lens of why somebody should follow them, right? Because of their knowledge as a subject matter expert. And, um, you know, it's, uh, that's very self-limiting if you're looking to be able to help people, you know, reach, reach their desirable future, right? So it's important. So you talked earlier about statements and then kind of the, the uh, brother or sister to statements is slogans. And, you know, somebody who works with a bunch of teams, it's real easy for the yeah. high school coach to get those t-shirts with, you know, embrace the grind or whatever, right yeah, on the back, yeah. but that, yeah. there's no real meaning behind it. Um, but no. that doesn't mean that slogans can't still have power. Right. Um, nope. There's one that, there's one that jumped out when I was doing some research, you know, getting ready for the show that I saw that yeah. not only, you know, you use quite a bit, but your clients and your athletes, they're, they're yeah. kind of living it as well. And talking about being better at getting better, explain what that means. Yeah. Uh, it's actually be the best at getting better. Right. Uh, is, is the phrase. And I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wordsmith because I think words are very important and you know, that, that's what we've put in. And I, I'll kind of give you a story of a real world story about that that may resonate with some of your listeners. So in around 2015, I had an opportunity. And in the off seasons at that time, we keep about five to six NFL guys that would come spend, you know, their summers in Charlotte for the off season in preparation. And got introduced to this guy at the time who was a cornerback with the Buffalo Bills named Stephon Gilmore. And Steph was a really, really, really quiet guy. And well, we sat down and when we met, you know, just like both of you guys do, we got to have this conversation around what's his desirable future? What does he want? Now, pro sports is pretty much out there that, you know, you play to win, right? I mean, that's you play to win the Super Bowl. That's what you're doing. A little bit different than working with a high school or or a, a patient or a client that comes into your clinic that's in the corporate sector, but pro sports. So we, we knew that one was there, but Steph also said, look, I, I, I want to be a pro bowler. I want to be the best corner in the league. And so he's kind of set that endpoint that was very specific. Um, it was very um, practical and it was personal and portable and all those kind of things. And so uh, then we said, all right, well, best is an outcome. If you want to be number one, you can't control an outcome. We can only control a process as you guys know. And we wanted to be able to put this idea that Steph could rally around in this idea of story. And whether it's an athlete, whether it's a patient, whether it's an adult client coming in, you know, to improve health and wellness and, you know, all those types of things. The brain is wired for story. And a winning leader makes the language of story their competitive edge, right? That's how you continue to be follow worthy of that story that you were helping somebody achieve and leaning on with them. And so we used that as a story with Steph. I said, Steph, we're not going to talk about being the best anymore, although we know you want to be the number one corner. I said, but now we have that endpoint. And that endpoint is what we call your desirable but difficult to achieve future that I can help make real with you, right? Alongside you. Now we got to come up with a mission that's going to say what if we can get accomplished every single day, we'll help get you one step closer to accomplishing that as fast as possible and with the least amount of risk. What is that going to be? What's the one common core thing? There's a lot of things got to be done, but what can we wrap this around to create this concept of a mission? And when we were kind of working through that, we said, well, look, here are what the top three corners were at the time. And these are the things that they do. Here are the elements for you, Steph that you feel like you need to bring to the table. And then here are the demands of the position as the game continues to evolve. 
And so we wrap that into this idea that go, we can be the best at getting better relative to these other top three to five every single day because it's personal. The best at getting better, we make it personal. We make it measurable. And it's something that that stuff can control, right? You got to have those elements if you have a chance to be able to make that story come true. And so at the end of each day, we would go through this map and this mission and have a conversation after our sessions to be able to go, wow, yeah, did you accomplish that today? We're the best at getting better relative to the other through. Here's the problem, and you nailed it, Eric, is that people in high schools and they put the swag on search and you know all this kind of stuff, that it's just hype and motivation stuff. It actually doesn't have a purpose. And whether it's in a PT clinic, whether it's in a gym, whether it's in a performance center, in a hospital setting, an educational PE, because I know you guys have the broad spectrum of your listeners that are, are any element of human performance, is that it's about giving people a map and every word and every phrase goes into building and supporting or validating that map. And so when you have other phrases that you see like that, you can say, okay, well, does that really fit in our map to make sure that we're going to get this thing accomplished? So um, that's, you know, that, that, that's the, that's the most popular one. That's the, the one that we say, use it, take it. And, you know, they've been doing that for probably 20 years, which is fun. Now I got a couple of questions off of that. Now, how much yeah. of that is that the tendency of the best is that they tend to want to get better? right? That mm -hmm. there's, whether it's someone in our field that, that's not thinking like Mike, that I'm 20 years in and I still need to get better and learn. And like, it's every day's a new day versus the yeah. kid who's two years in and thinks they know everything or the best <laughs> athlete. But, but there's yeah. also that, that, that element of how much of what people achieve is limited by their own expectations, right? Um, yeah. You know, his, you don't get every day. You get that special person that says, "I'm I'm willing to do whatever it takes because I expect myself to be the best in the world at this thing." Right? Um, there's yeah. always one thing that, I, and and I don't remember it, but you're a basketball guy. Might you might remember this? There was a great commercial. I don't remember what it was for, but it was a great commercial, and it was something that kind of alluded to potential and what if. And it showed Larry Bird working at Home Depot. Like, what if Larry Bird never picked up a basketball? And Larry Bird was just a checkout guy at Home Depot. Like what the world might have lost in that case. And that's just one example. So, because mm -hmm. maybe he grew up in a situation where that's that's always looked, always expected of you, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so how much of, of like getting potential out of people is changing their expectations? Yeah, a, a million percent. I think it's important to first define expectations. Just like we're talking about leadership, right? Because everybody... They hear the word, some people have a good concept and can define it. Most people can't, they really don't even know what it means. So I think that's the starting point and expectations through my lens and in my world is just something as simple as an assumption of an achievement, right? It's an outcome, assumption of achievement. And again, to your point, that can be a very low ceiling with people. And so that's why we start with anybody we work with, with this framework of story. Not your origin story, that, that factors in, but we're talking about what's your desirable but difficult to achieve future, really. And, and got to go deep and unpack of why is that important for you. And accomplishments or expectations can tend to be mile markers, but you got to be careful if they're the endpoints of the story you're trying to tell, because usually the story then is not big enough. Jeremy, what do you mean by that? Is that if I say, well, this is my expectation, 
And I can come back and I'll go, uh, well, then I've got to be able to challenge them in that conversation to go, well, he, how can we make that expectation bigger, bolder? Well, Jeremy, what do you mean by that? Well, because the current version of you is going to be good enough to meet that expectation. And nobody goes to a movie to pay $25 now to go sit in a seat in a movie to see something that's boring and to where the current version of the hero is good enough to get it done. That's not good enough. And so, you know, you got to be careful where those expectations are limiting. And then, then number two, it ties into their identity, right? And, and we tend to try to be creative and innovative out of our past and our current identity. Um, and there's no growth in that, right? That's a safe space. Um, and if I uh, acknowledge in my self-narrative is everything is built around what my current identity is, I'm just a, right? Finished what that is. I'm just a blank or I only have blank. We say there, there are a couple of myths of identity when you are working with a, a client, an athlete, a patient for the first time to go through and you want to explore what's their concept of their identity right now. And you got to know what the myths are. It's, I am what I have. I mean, how, I'm sure you guys too have, have been at some point in your life, like you're defined by, um, you know, how many articles you've written, how many podcast listeners you have, how many, you know, we, we all tend to do that. I do too. I am what I have. I, I'm defined by, I am what I do. I'm just a grocery boy checkout guy. That's all that I am, right? That, that's a limiting factor. And this will tie into your expectations. Back to that bird story. I am what I have. I am what I do. The dangerous one is I am who others say that I am. Right? And we tie that to those expectations. And so when we have, when I have coaches and I'll go, listen, yesterday I was at a high school and I heard this coach tell this kid, like, you know, hey, you know, you're never going to be fast. Let's put you in this position instead. That's limiting that young person's expectations through a label of an identity, right? I am who others say that I am. Oh, now I can't expect to go try to win, right? The four by four, even though I should. So, uh, and then the last one is I am my circumstances. Okay, well, and then that that tends to change to the expectations and the assumption of achievement as well, especially when life gets in the way. That's a problem. And so we want to be able to say, okay, slow down. Let's look at the story you're trying to tell. And then let's tie that back into what's your future identity this next version of you that is going to be needed to go make it happen. And that's where things come alive, right? So uh, there's a couple more pieces, but that, that's typically where we start in those two spaces. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. So Mike, before you jump in, there's a couple of things that you said that, that are all kind of tying together for me. So obviously with all those things that you just mentioned, all those points, you have to really be uh, aware and cognizant of your words, right? You're big on words. So yeah, yeah and, and those words have power. And so, mm -hmm. you know, even circling back and tying in with the slogans, the one, you know, a lot of the slogans I use, I, I just stole. And one of the ones that, that's one yeah. of my favorites is, is Trevor Moad. Um, and you would say, don't say dumb stuff out loud. Um, mm -hmm. And so like trying to teach kids like that, you know, when I get that kid that says, 
you know, I really suck at this. I'm like, no, don't take that back. Like, cause, cause if you think that you're never going to be other than just that. And so yeah. I think having that awareness and really making people own their words, I think is a huge step in this, I would assume. Right. Man, listen, you, you're all over it because that inner language tends to box people in and their potential because you use the word potential versus expectations that in those moments when they have an unclear identity and the, and they're really unclear about their future that they're trying to go make real. Then in the highest moments of pressure, this happens with high performers now that I'm just had a young man today that's reporting to spring balls. He's a triple A guy. And um, we talked about last year, what were some of his defining moments? He makes the moments bigger than him. And when you make the moment bigger than you, that comes back to your self language inside. Then you can't be surprised while you struggle. And then it leads to self-doubt and fear and lack of self-confidence and no mental toughness and all these other ice words, you know, at the top, all roads come back to identity. Right. And and I like that slogan that you said from Trevor, incredible, incredible, you know, um, just human being who leveled up the entire industry of helping people become their best. But, you know, these slogans, I think it's important though, for people to, I'd like, I want to challenge your listeners to replace the word slogan with the word guiding principle. Don't, don't call them slogans because that has very limited value. Call them a guiding principle. And so Jeremy, what do you mean by that? Because people always go, well, I, I use core values. Okay. So we can talk about core values in your business and your, you know, in your school and those types of pieces as well. And, and they'll list their four or five core values. Most of them are moral based core values. We value truth and trust and integrity and, and hard work, and, and that's great. But the brain has to be told what to do. And if I just go and tell you in your moment of struggle and say truth, your brain doesn't know what to do with that very well, right? Uh, and, but if I can come in and put some action around that core value, now we've got a guiding principle. And guiding principles tend to end up being slogans. So... Here, here's an example. Um, if one of my core values was people, so Mike used the word relationships in his example, which is freaking awesome, right? So if I value people, I, I can't just have that on a wall and I, that doesn't do anything. The purpose of a, core, of, of a guiding principle is one thing, man, and that's to optimize behavior. That is the sole purpose of a guiding principle. And when we have patients and athletes and coaches and your staff that are coming in, to protect the mission, we've got to optimize people's behavior. So we use a guiding principle. So instead of saying the core value people, we might still, our guiding principle might be rapid and love. And that turns into swag and that turns into slogans and bands and all this kind of cool stuff. And people think it's a slogan. No, 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 no. Time out. Is, is the way that you are giving feedback to this individual, is it wrapped in love? Now, love doesn't have to mean it has to be soft and pop psychology and feel good, but is, is, is that where that is? If you value excellence, Instead of saying excellence, we're going to say, be the best at getting better, right? That's this example of core value to guiding principles, not a slogan anymore. That, that controls my, my behavior. If we say, hey, we value being present. Because if I'm going to work with a client, I don't have my phone on me. But when I go in and look at PT clinics and I see during exercises, the, the therapist sitting there on their phone, tweeting social media, or I got a coach at high school during warm-up and they're talking to their wife right? Or they're talking to their buddy or they're checking it. That's not being present, but you can't just give a core value that says presence. That doesn't work. 
but you can say a guiding principle, which turns into a slogan. This is probably the more most popular one that I started. We started using back in 2002, right around with the Panthers, um, with some of those guys that if your presence doesn't make an impact, your absence won't make a difference. I can wrap my mind around that uh, instead of just being a core value of presence, right? So I like slogans. I think those, you know, th those turn into feel good pieces, but they got to have a purpose in your map. They got to have a purpose in a way to help optimize behavior so people can do one thing and that's get results. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to follow you. Right. Absolutely. And and I love the fact that you talked about being present. Um, one of my mentors, who's a great friend of mine, and, uh, he, you know, he, he was helping me one day and we were talking about distractions in life. And uh, it, he, he shared this quote with me and he goes, you know, when you're distracted and you should be present, you're literally missing a part of your life. Like you are missing a part of your life that you can't get back, man. So it's like. Yeah. I, whenever I uh, I feel like I'm a little distracted, I always think about like, man, I'm I should be here, but but I'm not. And what am I missing? Like, because you could miss something huge, right? You could miss uh, the opportunity to develop a relationship or say the right thing or just listen. So, uh, you know, being yeah. present is so darn important. And um, you know, I love the fact yeah. that what you're talking about is relationship building, and a lot of this is psychology. And, and listen, like we've we've done the we've done the we've all been there. We know about, we can talk about like sports science and plyos and periodization. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about that at all, at all today, because mm -hmm. is it important? Mm -hmm. Heck yeah, it's important. But at the end of the day, it's about the relationship and the buy-in and the uh, ability to connect with people on a deeper level. And, and fitness, in my opinion, is just a vehicle, right? Fitness and strength and conditioning is just a way that we can honor and serve. So the question I have for you, mm -hmm. Jeremy, you seem like you, you've been around so many people. Um, Let's talk about roadblocks. Like when you're when you're interacting with people, you're working with a new individual, a team, or an organization. You yeah. know what are some common roadblocks? Yeah, that's that's a great question. We we get quite a bit, and I think it's important to filter that word. Um, a, we don't use that word, so roadblocks tend to be I got to turn back and go backwards. So you know if we're going to use yeah. as cliche as that sounds. I hate that because I try to stay away from that stuff. You know, but we're going to say, look, is this going to be a hurdle, an obstacle, or, and sometimes you do hit a roadblock and you have to redirect. So we get that, but we split that into two different layers that we into an internal layer into right now, what's inside my skin that's, that's making this a hurdle. And then uh, everything outside of my skin to an external layer of, of roadblocks too, but we got to start with inside and that inside comes back to kind of what we mentioned before is What's my identity right now? What do I truly believe about me, right? As an identity of that, that is limiting me in my ability to perform. Externally, the identity of a team, right? What do we really believe about ourselves? Mike, Mike Bewley, just a great buddy of mine. He was the director of performance for men's basketball, um, Clemson basketball for years, and just a badass human being. Uh, when he was with Clemson, he brought me in, and we were kind of doing a cultural um, evaluation and, and, and looking at his team and that season, they had lost like six or seven games, literally in the last second by a shot. And they would, they would be up at the half by, you know, 15 points dropping threes. And then the teams would keep coming back and they got, they got selected, um, that year, the year after that to go represent the United States and the global world games for basketball, a huge honor. And the pressure was on Clemson to win, but they just came off a season where they kept losing. That was the roadblock. And Mike was in, Mike was in the, in the locker walking by, I think they're in Italy. 
and he, he's blowing my phone up, calling me. He goes, man, I just walked in the locker room and I heard our captain have this phrase, the Clemson curse. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, man. And so I go ask all the guys at the Clemson curse. What's the Clemson curse? And he's like, yeah, well, our curse is, you know, we get up and we keep coming back and we lose these big games, you know, at the last minute shots and we're, we're just destined. That's just what we do. And they get in and the first practice game uh, for the, for the tournament, you know, they end up losing same scenario. And he hears that. And so he had to go back and reset and look at their identity and reshift what they really believed about themselves to overcome self-doubt, anxiety, you know, all those types of things to go through. And you know what they ended up doing? They ended up winning. They ended up coming back and they battled through because they made that shift and that wasn't a roadblock, but it started with their identity and as a team too. Now, externally, you've got to look at, you know, some cultural things within your space. So if you are in the private sector um, and you're like, okay, we've got to look through, pro and you can do some things like processes and systems. I think those things were important, but you got to look at culture. And what's funny is most people, they don't have a good operative definition of culture like they don't for excellence or leadership as well. And whether it's an individual practitioner or a business owner, um, you know, in just about any industry. And so you're going to say, well, look, is our roadblock, is this hurdle, is this a language issue? Because language shapes culture. Is it a belief issue? Because belief validates, right? What's that issue? Is it a story issue? Because story supports and reinforces what we're trying to accomplish. And if people don't see themselves on our team in the story, if your patient all of a sudden doesn't see themselves in their own story and have ownership of that, you're not going anywhere. It's not happening. You know, so I, I think those tend to be some of the initial foundations before you go get to some of this other stuff that people try to chase. You don't want to chase, you know, th this is probably the biggest one, Mike, and this drives me crazy. This is the one that I get, um, I mean, I, I get negative feedback all the time and that's fine. I mean, that's, if, if you're not going to be a leader if everybody agrees with you, right? Um, and, but people, when they hit roadblocks, they say, and tell me how many times, Eric, you guys have heard this. If I just had more confidence, I could get around this roadblock, right? If I had more confidence, I'd get more playing time. If I had more confidence, I'd get the job I'm going for in the role. If I had more confidence, I could get out there and speak to more companies to drive more traffic and more patients into our clinic. If I just had, and when you chase confidence, you lose. And, it, and then it remains a roadblock with what you're trying to execute and the task that you're trying to achieve. Because confidence is a lag indicator. It's on the back end. If I had to, if I asked both of you, it's like, what has to happen for you to feel confident? You're going to tell me a lot of different things that we could, though, whittle down to the following. You typically, pe people feel the most confident when they're clear and certain of an outcome. Guess what? Life, we're not certain. Before March 2020, everybody was certain about one thing, and then, right, things changed. Um, you would tell me that I feel confident when I have some some wins, right? Whatever wins look like. If I'm a running back, give me a couple of carries on the ball for one or two one or two yards. Let me build my co so confidence requires proof. It requires clarity, and it really likes certainty. But if that's what you chase, then it's always going to be a roadblock with what you're running into as a professional, or know that about a client that you're working with. So instead of asking somebody to go after a lag indicator, like a, so a lag indicator is like a front and a four, four and a 40, right? Instead, let's put it on the front end. 
Instead, let's let's use the word courage in that moment to help get around a roadblock or a hurdle like that. Because courage says, no matter the fear that I'm feeling, what the mission is asking of me, and if it's my mission and I have autonomy and I have agency and I have ownership in this, I'm going to lean in that what the mission is asking of me right now is more important than the fear that I feel, right? I need to go ask my coach. I need to go ask my trainer that, you know, that uh, I think I can do more. I can lift a little more. I can push a little bit harder. Or I'm pretty sure I can ask my patient, my client to go a little bit more because uh, of what the mission is asking. So uh, I know we gave a lot there, but I think those elements are really, really, really important. Identity, story, stop chasing, stop chasing confidence and recognizing there's an internal and, and external barriers that you can go in and navigate. That's, that's the good news. Now that was kind of next on my list to start talking a little bit about culture. And, and I love talking to, you know, how you say, is it, is this a belief problem? Is this a language problem? And then there's one kind of hard to measure um, factor that I think is, is incredibly important. And, and I think this applies both on the individual and, and the team level is energy. You know, one of the slogans I kind of came up with was talking about every room you walk into, you're either adding energy into the room or taking it away, right? There's that person yeah. that you see. And every time you see him, you light up, oh, good, Jeremy's here. Or there's that yeah. person you show up at work and you see their car and like, oh man, I got to deal with this person today, right? And so you're one of those two people. Don't be that second yeah. person. So, every, and then, cause what happens is when I'm around Jeremy, guess what? I work harder. And then the guy next to me may get inspired and he works harder. And then that changes the whole room. So you have to add energy into the room. And so that leads to the, kind of that, that concept of you're the sum of the people that you surround yourself with, whether you're an individual and you're, you're trying to run a business or you're, you're a coach trying to run a team, or you're, you're the athlete, you're the end user, you're the, the person working at the desk. Talk a little bit about how that you talk about internal, external, the, how the external is going to influence your internal. If you let the wrong external get around you. Man, that is so true. And again, I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship, but let's start with energy first. So one of the E's in our normalizing excellence framework is the energy that you bring. And uh, that doesn't just always mean level five positive energy because we've all been around that type of person and they wear people out, right? <laughs> so we're not talking about a static level of energy. As a leader, you get to go into the moment and you get to and you get to control and discern what energy is needed right now. The reason why that is important and that's critical is solely because of this. Energy mirrors energy. That's how that works, right? And as a leader, you got to go into the moment and you recognize, do we need to bring more energy? So I know that this person has to mirror that for me or do I got to calm this thing down with my client because they really hurt and they're nervous because now they pulled their hamstring and they're coming to me for the first time and they're thinking that the rest of their season is over. And they're, all their identity is in playing soccer, and now they think their whole life's over. And I've got to bring a different energy into that moment, right? So energy mirrors energy. Um, we have the environment that you design. That's that's critical. And that that's from the physical side of the environment, which comes into program design with what you guys are doing, which is badass. And, you know, but the, envir and the, but the environment you design with, with people too, right? And I need to be around people that are going to pull me. See, people make this I this assumption that trainers push, right? I go, hey, how was your workout? Oh, it's great. My trainer pushes me even when I'm tired, pushes me beyond fatigue and push, push, push. And yeah, that's true. But environments pull, 
right? There's a reason if I love coming back to you over and over again, and I've been training with you now for five years as an adult client, right? It is because you push me when I my brain says stop and I can't, right? And I want to quit and you push me. But I'm also coming back because the environment that you've designed pulls me to wanting to keep coming back, right? And that's important. And when you say your support system and the people that you're around, if they only value you based on how you matter and that you matter, that's conditional, right? That's a conditional relationship and that's dangerous. I mean, that's dancing with the devil, right? A little bit, but you want to be around people that make you feel like that you belong and you make them feel like that they belong. And, and that goes with your peers. It goes with your, your patients. And when they come into your clinic, they come into your gym. If it's their first timer, you want to be able to say, Hey, look, it's the first time you're here, but by the time you leave, we want to make sure you feel like that you've always belonged. And we're going to create that type of support that's going to help you do one thing. That's why you come to me. That's why there's an exchange of money, right? From a rehab or from a health side is to help you achieve and reach your future as fast as possible and with the least amount of risk. And if you buy into that as fast as possible with the least amount of risk, you have to be critically intentional about the people that are around you because energy mirrors energy and the environment that you design. If you want to have a map that'll get you there. Now, I, I hope for the the young coaches, trainers, therapists that are out there that they kind of read through that and hear about the elegance on either side of that transaction. That if you want to be that trainer coach with the whip and chair, right? Yeah. Or if you're the, the client, the athlete that thinks you need a coach with the whip and chair, just know that shit gets, gets old real fast and it wears off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I always remember one of the best compliments I ever got as a trainer uh, was completely side-handed from a, somebody I would have never expected. I had this older guy who was a golfer. He's like a twice divorced guy was not the, 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 the warm and fuzziest guy you'll ever meet. But he was finishing up his session and I had another guy coming in after him. And, you know, the, the guy coming after him, you know, you know, they kind of, they make that common kind of, you know, you've, you've done that in that exchange where the next client coming in, they make that eye contact. And the next guy said, oh man, he's tough, huh? Yeah. And the guy looked at him and he says, no, he doesn't have to be tough. He's smart. And that yeah. like to this day stands out oh. as like, holy shit, that is what I aspire to. Like, I don't, I don't need to lean into the, I'm going to just kick your ass because that's, yeah. that's a, that's an easy card to pull. And I'll still have to pull it sometimes from time mm -hmm. to time. Um, mm -hmm. But if that's what you're leaning into, it ain't going to get you far. Man, I love that story because I think that's exemplary of the phrase that we encourage leaders we work with, that if you're going to be a winning leader at the end of the day, you pare it all down is, is to this, this experience and how people experience you. And you want them to be able to walk away in any scenario, whether they're spending two minutes with you or they spend in an hour with you. It doesn't matter that when I leave, and this is going to be like today when I get off, and here's what I'm, here's the phrase that I end up saying, you know, this is my language though, but being around Mike and being around Eric is a guaranteed investment of my time. If people can say that about you, you're going to get to be a leader that others want to follow, right? Regardless of the situation. And uh, I love that you gave that example of, again, why language is dangerous, right? Because you have the indirect affiliation. Like if, if Eric, if you've been working with Mike uh, as an athlete for the past two years, 
I now just come into the community and now I moved in. We kind of get to know each other on the team and you, and, and I go, Hey, Hey, Eric, what's it like to work with coach Mike? Whatever words that you tell me are going to anchor my experience on how I'm going to, what I'm going to be like around coach Mike. And if you go, he's going to whoop your ass. He's going to run you in the ground. You better be right. Now, when I show up with Mike, I'm not ready to go all in and take risks because in my mind, I have no chance or do I have a desire to want to belong in his environment? Most people don't want to do that or hunt like that. And so that's why language shapes culture, man. This stuff is so important to get the stuff right and not playoff slogans and, and cliches, but you've got a clear map. So the indirect influence can have sometimes is more power um, than even the relationship that you have directly, right? So speaking of words, I've been writing a lot of words down and, and just giving you full disclosure, I'm stealing all these, all these things that you're saying here. You got them <laughs> do it, down. man. Do it. All right. Do so it. one of the ones, one of the things I wrote down when we had our conversation leading up to this, and we, we got to catch up a little bit a few weeks back is you yeah. told me about core currency. You challenged me and said, what's your core currency? And yeah. so like, talk a little bit about that. Tell me what that means. Yeah. So core currency is something that uh, a concept that really comes to the in the business world that I had to learn early on, right? Coming out of college, I, I didn't have any business background. I just put myself out there and, and I had to figure out real, real quick what my offer is, right? To those people that I wanted to be able to work with at that time, it was, it was just athletes and your, and your core currency really is what's the single result that people are coming to you for. And, and you've got to be crystal clear on what that currency and that's it's not that you can't handle other elements and other layers and other ways to engineer value into that person. But if you want to be successful and you want to, you want to be able to grow, right. And where those pieces are, then you need to really whittle it down to a core currency. So for me, it, what, what I fell in love with out of the gate in the mid nineties and built my athlete by design around was speed, right? Sports specific speed. That was the number one result, the most important result. Yeah, we did strength and mobility and stability and um, you know all those other different elements of program design that you guys cover. But speed was my core currency. And then we were able to measure that. And then we put a timeline around it. And that's kind of the formula. What's your core currency? What's the metric? And then what's the timeline? So if you're, if you're a trainer, instead of just saying, yeah, we, we, you come to me and we're, we're in adult health. We make people feel better. That's too broad. People can't grasp on what that is, the problem you're going to help them solve, and then stay and increase the long-time value with you as a client. Then you come in and say, look, we can help you. Um, so weight loss would be a core currency if you're into that space as a trainer, right? And you put a metric and a timeline around that. Um, we had an athlete this weekend that had a grade, grade one MCL sprain. He's freaking out. Right. And the trainer did not didn't have a whole lot of experience as a very young trainer. She being she she was a first year uh, working with a team. And so she didn't have the uh, experience in the background to be able to help control the narrative with that athlete um, and then with the doctor. Right. But the currency is, you know, we, we've got to get your knee better. We specialize in MCL rehab. Right. There's your currency. And then what's the metric in the timeline? And then now you're giving people a story that they make a decision because it's very clear if they're going to come alongside and let you lead them to get them to where they want to go as fast as possible and with the least amount of risk, 
right? Well, it's that core currency that you really be able to play in. You can add other layers, but you, what's the one thing that you want to do better and the result you're going to get that people come to you for? So yeah. when we talk about sort of core currency and we talk about sort of just, you know, client interaction and the way that we communicate. So how does that differ when you're working with a professional sports team, a high school team, or yeah. even like a, a, you know, a CEO of a big company? Uh, how does that change? Man, that's a good question. So here, here's what we teach in, in LeaderKit out front. There's a difference between content and context. And most leaders try to convey just content, right? They try to knowledge bomb drop, you know, everything that they know is subject matter experts. And it's really hard to rally behind that because you got to have context. And, and when we're with leaders, leaders um, typically want to chase and say, I need to get better at a leadership skill, right? And, and if I want to be a better leader, get my skill, skill, skill. But we, have, we come back, we go, no, you need skill, but you have to have capacity as a leader. It's the same thing in the physical side of moving and performance, right? You have a sports-specific skill, but you have to have the, the capacity to move. That's why you better be able to be good at designing programs. Again, what you guys do best, right? That we're going to build capacity so you can apply your skill set. And, and, and whether it's any of, those, any of those domains, through our lens, we're just looking at leadership capacities first, and then we know which skill sets that we're going to be able to need. Here are three different examples in each of those domains that you gave. In the corporate world, we've got a company that reached out and gave an example uh, within one of their factories that that their manager didn't have a great relationship with the, the employees on the floor that are working their particular line. And this incident recently happened where that they had to weigh some of their products before they got on the conveyor belt. And there's a specific way to be able to do that. The manager didn't have a good relationship, wasn't a good leader, and wasn't clear in their processes. And so this individual comes on and he just throws on a couple of weights on each side to make it say zero. But the product now, because of that, instead of putting one specific weight on each side, so then the conveyor belt started doubling and tripling the product into the bags. And it ended up being an $8 million mistake. $8 million, just from putting two plates on a scale instead of one, leading into $8 million. would have been hundreds of millions if they hadn't caught it. And you had to go in and say, well, what does accountability look like? How do I use language of a leader to really go and navigate that discussion? Well, so then now we take that into... The college, you know, college example of the coach that they're starting off 0-6. Now they're getting ready to get fired, right? Um, and, and the AD doesn't want to fire them because they know that the guy stands for um, developing individuals beyond just the result. Well, that's the context, but the content behind it still has some fundamental capacity on what's accountability look like? What does designing culture look like? to make sure that we protect the mission of what we're designed here to do. High school coaches are the same thing. High school coaches are wrapped up when everything is about highlight and everything is about winning. And, and with NIL, that doesn't help our situation. However, with teenage brains, the context is the most important environment that a teenage brain can be in in the United States is participating in a high school sport because that's the environment that lets them work through their executive functions and build those skill sets and have the capacity to be able to lead. But they still have to look at culture, 
accountability, framework for leadership, taking risks. You know, so there, there is a common language to being a leader that has a certain type of rhythm, a certain type of language, a certain type of pattern of decisions, and a certain type of behavior that can scale regardless of the domain. And then what makes it specific and relative then is being a subject matter expert and uh, context within that domain. So um, leadership capacity is kind of what we what we say. So uh, I want you to share with people a little bit more about how they can get engaged with with leader kit and, and what you're doing, whether they're, they fall into any of those domains. But I will tell you before I pass it off to you, Jeremy, uh, since we last spoke, I went to a uh, state uh, strength coaches clinic, high school state coaches clinic. And okay. uh, one of you know, they were talking about a bunch of different things. And one of the strength yeah. coaches, he was the host of it, said, you got to yeah. get involved with Jeremy Boone and his program. Oh. And he was using it at his high school here in New Jersey. So um, oh, it's man. out there and it's working. I can tell you that firsthand. So it was very cool to hear leading That's up awesome. to this. So I thought you'd appreciate that. I do. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, we're, we're on a, you know, we're on a very clear mission to build leaders because uh, I stand firm that, you know, leadership is what's going to get us through 2023, not managers, <laughs> right? We need leaders in every domain. And, and, uh, you know, we just encourage people who have an interest in wanting to get out of their comfort zone and recognize that growth dies in your comfort zone and say, hey, I think I might have a desire to lead. It doesn't have to be a title, but I can level it up. They go to winningleader.com is a great place to go and find that information to do that. Uh, I appreciate you asking and let's connect on social media too at Athlete by Design. Um, and uh, we're always posting stuff out that way. But, uh, you know, we, we want to make sure that people know I'm not into like long-term academics and learning a bunch of crazy, crazy stuff. Um, th that's important for a graduate school and things like that. We want to give people tools that they can have instant wins. And that's what you guys are doing on this podcast. And hopefully our conversation gave people some instant wins around leadership. And if that's you, come check out winningleader.com, brother. Great stuff. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. Uh, Mr. Perry, any closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Um. I mean, yeah, I have, I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to be uh, emailing you after this, Jeremy, because it's something that I, I'm definitely interested in learning more from, about from uh, what you guys do. But, you know, cool. I, I think for the people listening, right, um, there's always opportunities to learn from so many different individuals. And oftentimes when you hear just something very, very different, like the message that we heard from from Jeremy today, that, um, listen, the cool thing is if if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, man, I don't really know much about this. There's your opportunity to learn, right? So um, mm. look at this podcast and this the, the way that this podcast went. It's a little bit different than what we normally do, but there's so mm. much to learn out there. And um, don't be intimidated, be encouraged because, uh, you know, there's yeah. so much to learn and there's so many directions to go. Like I'm ready to run through a wall right now. I'm all fired up. So like, <laughs> I, I think people just need to understand that. Look, you know, find the direction you want to go in and just continue to be a permanent beginner and learn. And uh, I, I just appreciate you coming on today, man. Uh, what what an amazing conversation. And, and uh, thank you so much for sharing. Well, listen, it was a ton of fun. We could do it all day. And, um, you know, I, I would probably just end by first saying thank you. And this has been fun for me to kind of just uh, learn more about your story and what you guys are doing and continue it. And, and I think you bring up a great point. You know, we don't want you to be intimidated. Leadership is an invitation. And, and, and you guys are inviting your listeners to come in, come on, lean in and take an opportunity to be able to improve. And I would just say that if, 
If we shared a whole lot of information today and you feel a little bit overwhelmed, that's good. You should because growth is isn't for everyone and neither is winning, right? Like you got to be willing to grow a little bit. But just remember there's one thing. If you, if you scratched it all off, the one thing that's going to help you become a better professional for the people you work with is simply that, that, that one guiding principle. If your presence doesn't make an impact, your absence won't make a difference. So I appreciate you guys so much. Exceptional. And, and, and thank you again. And, and Jeremy was, was telling us right before we went live that he had kind of taken a little bit of a sabbatical from podcast. So we are honored yeah. that we were, the, we were the comeback yeah. show for you, Jeremy. You're the comeback brother. You're it. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome. So want to, want to thank you. And, and, and then obviously thank you, the listener for tuning in. And this has been the principles of performance podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.